morning. How's everybody doing? Morning. Doing okay? It's good to see you guys. My name is Josh, and I have the privilege of being lead pastor here. It's good to have you guys. Uh, glad to have people joining us online as well. And uh, I hope you guys are ready for uh, a challenging but good time together. Uh, hopefully on the way in, you guys all got a rock slash potato uh, <laughs> on your way in. If you didn't get one, um, go ahead and raise your hand, or you can actually uh, grab something around. You're going to need this later in the service. I'll just be right up front with you because this is a challenging uh, but important topic. We're talking today about how do we love people who have hurt us. And so we're going to talk about forgiveness. We're going to talk about reconciliation. We're going to talk about grace. Uh, and I want you to have this symbolized for you, uh, that person uh, or that, that thing that you're holding on to. Maybe for some of you, this, this represents like 20 people, all right? Uh, and hopefully you took a large enough rock for that. But just hang on to that. You're going to need that later in the service. I'm going to ask you, here's what I'm going to ask you to do at the end of the message today. I'm going to ask you to be willing um, to let that go. And we're going to talk through how we get to that place. So I wanted to give you guys a heads up on that. Uh, before we get into the message today, though, uh, I want to give kind of a little bit of a family chat, a family update. Uh, we believe church should be a family, and uh, you guys are all a part of that. And so two things I want to cover real quick. I want to cover uh, progress on the work that's going on outside uh, behind us, behind me, and then also give some financial updates. Uh, and thank you guys for your, your giving and involvement financially. So um, we're super excited. Uh, we're adding on uh, this space. We'll get to be the space that it longs to be, which is a lobby. And uh, we'll be able to have a larger worship, worship space together. We're so excited for that. Uh, we're still on track, the builder says, despite all the craziness of supply chain stuff and price increases, we're still on track to be in that new space sometime in the middle to end of October. So uh, we are counting down the days. It doesn't look like it's that ready, but uh, they're telling us they're going to be working hard in the next couple weeks. And so we're excited for that. We can't wait for that day. Um, uh, also, uh, we, have, we began a journey in May, uh, a giving journey, a 30-month giving journey that many of you are on called All In. And uh, I'm not going to show a video right now. We watched a video a hundred times of reminding us what it was like when we were kids to jump into a pool doing a cannonball. And many of you did that. Many of you said, we are all in. Uh, we asked the question, what would it look like if a group of people went all in in their relationship with God? And what could God do in and through that group of people? And so many of you jumped in. Um, our main goal, our primary goal for, was 100% engagement. That anybody who calls Evident Church their home, uh, you've been here twice, we'll say, uh, that, that you would jump in and ask God, uh, Jesus, what do you want me to do? And uh, we're, we want to celebrate that so far we've had 65 different families or households uh, jump in and be a part of All In. That number keeps growing. People keep jumping in on this journey. Um, our, our secondary goal was to raise $300,000 over a 30-month period. And you guys don't listen very well uh, because uh, to date we've had over $434,000 pledged and committed to that. So we praise God for that. And uh, so thank you for not listening so well. Uh, no, honestly, I believe that God knows what our needs are. God knows what he wants to do in and through us. And I believe that, that that's simply uh, an indicator of what God's doing um, outside of what even our plans are. We're so excited for that, and that number keeps growing as well. And to date, as we began this journey back at the beginning of May, um, since then, about two, uh, two and a half months or three months, whatever that is, uh, we've had over $110,000 given already um, in hand for the, for the all-in campaign. So we praise God for all of that. Yeah, I know you guys want to clap again, so we can clap again for that. It's awesome. 
Um, and, and just a reminder for us, uh, all this stuff um, is not about brick and mortar, right? I want us to be picturing and praying for and dreaming about all that God is going to do in people's lives and, uh, and through us, right? This is just a place we gather, uh, but we are the people of God. We are the church, and so we're excited for what God's doing. Uh, then lastly, I want to just mention real quick, so we have that, what we talk about, the all-in campaign. Then we have something called general, general giving. Uh, it's not as flashy. Uh, it just makes sure that the lights stay on Sunday mornings when we meet here. Uh, it makes sure that we can do our regular day-to-day -day ministry, and so many of you give faithfully to that. I just want to say thank you. Um, thank you for giving to that. Uh, give you a quick update on where we are. We do this from time to time, but our, our whole budget for the year is, is right around $400,000 to be able to keep doing the ministry to the community that we do. So six months is pretty easy. What's half of 400? 200? Yeah, some of you are with me. Uh, 200,000. Um, and so our, our giving uh, as of the first, the end of June, first six months, was slightly under that, 190. Um, just want to keep you guys aware of that and want to keep encouraging you. Uh, if you love what God's doing here, um, I believe the Evident Church is a very good investment. Um, somebody say amen, right? Amen. I think that this is a good place. I think that God is doing great things. Uh, just so you know, um, when you give, I don't get a new pair of shoes. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't work that way. I don't handle the money. Did that not make sense to you guys? All right. So I didn't buy a new car uh, when we got money given to All In. Um, it doesn't work that way. We have a great team of people, great checks and balances. You can trust that your money is being used uh, for good kingdom work. And so uh, I want to encourage you, if you don't currently give, I want to encourage you to jump in. Uh, God will bless you for that. Um, you can do that um, on the way out. There's a couple of brochures that talk about our all-in campaign. Love to have you be a part of that and uh, not miss out on that opportunity. And then you can give uh, online is the easiest way. Go to evidentchurch.com forward slash give. has all the instructions there. About 90% of you who give, give online, and we, we appreciate that. Um, so that's awesome. So we praise God for all that he's doing, and we are excited for the future. Okay, got that stuff out of the way. If you guys have your Bibles, uh, open up to Luke chapter 6, please. Love to have you join me. If you don't have a Bible, you can turn to one of the Bibles in front of you. You can find Luke chapter 6. Uh, if not, it's going to be on the screen as well. We're going to read God's word together, and then I'm going to pray. And then you better be ready. Better be ready. All right, Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 27. This is Jesus uh, teaching a crowd of people, much like what he would do here today for us. Jesus said, but to you who are listening, I say this. I want you to love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. It's like already, already I don't like this message, right? Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, don't demand it back. That doesn't sound like the American way to me. <laughs> do to others as you would have them do to you. He says, for if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But I say, he says, love your enemies and do good to them 
and lend to them without expecting to get anything back, then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because God is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. And he sums it all up. He says, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. So let's take a minute to pray. Father, I pray that in the next few minutes, you would allow us to be open and receptive to what you want to do. I know that the enemy uh, wants to steal, kill, and destroy, but you want to give us life. Help us to trust that and help us to be willing to, uh, to do difficult things um, to lean into that. I'm excited for what you're going to do today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Have you guys ever been to an escape room? I, I haven't yet. Uh, I'd love to go sometime. Uh, but it's an interesting concept if you think about it. You pay other people <laughs> to lock you in a room and not let you out. <laughs> now, if you're a parent of young kids, you're like, yes, please, like lock me away somewhere. Um, but the concept is that you go to this room and they lock you in. They give you a time limit, usually about an hour You've got to figure out the clues. You've got to figure out how to open the door. You've got to figure out how to unlock it. Those of you who've been to an escape room, were you successful? Did you figure it out? Anybody in the room willing to admit that they did not figure it out? They, had, they got locked in. They stayed in the whole time. All right, a few of you. I appreciate your honesty. <laughs> it's a really interesting thought. But how crazy would it be if you went to an escape room and uh, maybe figured it out or maybe just timed out, but you chose not to leave the escape room? You kind of like started to like, yeah, you got young kids, right? <laughs> You're not going you, you started to like kind of make a spot to sleep. You like made a little bed, like a little nightstand. You got, got a charger out for your phone. You know, you started having meals brought in. And the whole time you could leave the escape room if you wanted to, but you either were unwilling to or just didn't even realize that you weren't doing it. You just decided to live in the escape room. And at first it's, it's okay because it's kind of comfortable. You get familiar with the surroundings. But over time, it, you realize it's kind of lonely in the escape room. Like other people have left, and other people are moving on, other people are living their lives, but you're still hanging out in the escape room. Right? It sounds kind of silly, right? And five years down the road, or ten years, I'm not sure why you'd stay there that long, we're just imagining things. <laughs> ten years down the road, you realize you're still hanging out in the escape room, and everybody else has moved on with their lives. In many ways, that's what it's like when we choose to hang on to hurts from the past. It's like we're living in the escape room. Like I said, we're in this series called Next Door, The Art of Neighboring. Last week we talked about God's love for us and the fact that God's love for us should flow through us. And I know that I crafted that phrase so well, you all remember that from last week, that God's love for us should flow or must flow through us. That's the point of last week's message. This week's message is about how to love people who have hurt us. Uh, I think that in these days, it's so easy to be hurt, and it's so easy to live hurt. We live in a culture where people, it almost seems like they want to live perpetually offended. Have you guys noticed this? Like, and it doesn't matter what you do, you're going to offend somebody. I like the color green. That means you don't like all the other colors? Like, what are you thinking? You're going to get piled on for just saying something like that. Uh, as a leader in this past year, it hasn't been a lot of fun. No matter what decision we made as a church, 
you tick off half the people, right? It's uh, just been challenging. But many people, see, it's one thing to be offended. We're all going to be offended at some point. It's a completely different thing to live offended. And many people seem to choose, like, I'm going to keep living in the escape room. I don't want to leave. They just like to be there for some reason. Um, and Jesus challenges us, and he reminds us that when we live in that state of offense, it's like a trap. Uh, there's a verse in Matthew 11, verse 6. Jesus said, blessed is the, the one, the person, who is not offended because of me. See, it's possible that some people are even offended by Jesus. And that word offense, the, the Greek word that's used there is a Greek word scandalon. Um, I looked this stuff up. I'm not that smart, just like in general. But uh, the Greek word scandalon is where we get our word scandalous from. And it means this, the trigger of a trap of which the bait is placed and which, when touched by the animal, springs and causes it to close, causing entrapment. What Jesus is saying is that offense or being offended or holding on to hurts is like a trap. That you desire to move forward, but you're held in place because you're holding on to the offense. I got the best picture I could of the biggest trap I could. I wanted to get a physical, a gigantic bear trap, those big metal bear traps that will just swallow a person up. Turns out they're actually illegal now, <laughs> so <laughs> I wasn't able to get one. <laughs> but picture that, right? Picture that you're, you're walking through the woods, right, and you actually step on one of those, and it's, it's anchored to the ground, and there's a reason why they're illegal, right? That's, that's really bad. But Jesus is saying that offense, or being offended or holding on to hurts, is like, you're, you're, it's like an entrapment. It's like a trap waiting to spring on you, waiting to grab you and not let you go. It gives the impression of a person who wants to move forward, but they can't because they're anchored to the ground by the past. It kind of freezes you in the past when God wants you to move forward. So my hope, my dream, my goal for us today is that we'd be able to, in some way, big or small, be able to at least begin to move forward and get those traps off of us. Um, I'll, I've found myself in some of these places before with some traps uh, attached to my ankles. Um, leadership isn't easy, like I said, from time to time. Well, I'll say it this way. Uh, pastors are referred to as shepherds, right? That's a very nice, gentle term. You can picture the sheep, you know, like on your shoulder, like Jesus kind of walking around. Uh, but from time to time, the truth is sheep do bite. Yeah, they do. They do. Yeah. And so uh, things happen, right? There's been betrayals in my life. There's been hurts in my life that have caused some deep deep wounds. And each time those things happen, um, I have a choice to make. I can either choose to stay there and allow myself to be entrapped by that offense, or I can choose to move forward and allow God to work in my life. Um, I know <laughs> people have hurt you. I wasn't laughing at that. I'm laughing about what I'm going to say. I'm sorry. <laughs> Next. <laughs> oh. I know people have hurt you. And I know that I can't imagine some of the hurts that you've experienced. The good news is that, that God knows, right? That God completely understands. Um, I know that you, like me, this is what I was laughing at, sorry, uh, have people that you'd rather not see in the grocery store. Anybody else? You're going down one aisle, you see them in the distance, and you're like, oh, I hope they didn't see me. You like quickly check out or just leave the cart and take off, right? 
You just don't want to talk with that person or interact with that person. Um, I know you, like me, have people that are blocked on social media. Uh, you creepily still stalk them, uh, but you don't want to see their posts, right? Um, I know what that's like. Uh, but like you, we both know that living in offense or living offended, all we're doing is living in the escape room. Uh, I heard this uh, funny example about a guy um, who had some interesting things to say. He was laying on his deathbed, and a pastor came to kind of spend time with him before he passed away. And the pastor wanted to make sure he was right with God. And so he said, uh, sir, have you forgiven all of your enemies? And the, the guy kind of looked astonished. He's like, pastor, I don't have any enemies. I shot all of them. I got, got rid of them. Uh, you can't do that. Those rocks that they gave you today are not for throwing. Um, we can't do that. I heard another uh, powerful example about the need for reconciliation, the need for forgiveness. A story about a, a father and son who lived in Spain, and they had a broken relationship, uh, broken to the point where the son finally just ran away, and the, the father never heard from him again. The father did everything he could to search for him. He, he did everything possible to search for his son, but was not successful in finding him. Finally, in a last-ditch effort, this is before uh, some of the social media stuff, the father took out an ad in a paper. Uh, kids, just so you know what a newspaper is. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> took out an ad in the paper, and uh, the ad simply read this. Dear Paco, meet me in front of this newspaper office at noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. The dad was astonished on Saturday when he showed up at the newspaper office to find that 800 other men named Paco had showed up as well, looking for forgiveness and love from their fathers. So what I want to do for the next few minutes is just give us a couple of challenges, a couple of handles, um, a couple of ways that we can possibly move forward, and then I'm going to give you a chance to respond at the end. So what I want to encourage you to do, first of all, is this. And we're going to go right for the jugular. We're going to skip a couple steps in the process. But I want to ask you a question really in the form of this statement. But I want to encourage you to always be ready to reconcile. So what I'm saying is, if there is a person, or if that person that you're picturing right now in your mind, if they were to come to you and ask for forgiveness and ask to restore the relationship, would you be willing to reconcile? Because the truth is, if not, then that shows you that there's still some work that God wants to do in that situation. Uh, real quickly, though, as we talk about reconciliation, we talk about forgiveness, I want to break a couple forgiveness myths because there's a lot of things that we say about forgiveness that just aren't true. Okay? So here's a couple things that forgiveness doesn't mean. Forgiveness doesn't mean forgetting. We've said that for years and years, but forgiveness doesn't mean that you simply forget and, and oftentimes people would say, if you haven't forgotten about it, it means that you haven't forgiven. That's not necessarily true. Right? God forgives us. It doesn't mean that he forgets our sins, but it means that he doesn't hold them against us any longer. Second uh, myth about forgiveness is that forgiveness doesn't mean trusting. There's some situations, I would encourage you to forgive a person, but not get back into the same situation you were in before. I heard someone say that trust is earned by, drop by drop, but it's broken or it's lost in buckets, right? A person earns your trust slowly, and they break that trust. It's like they've got to take some time to earn that same trust back. 
So forgiveness doesn't mean trusting them. You can still forgive them even if you don't trust them. Forgiveness requires one person. Reconciliation requires two. There's a great distinction between forgiveness and reconciliation. You can still forgive somebody even if there isn't reconciliation in the relationship. Forgiveness does not require an apology. We could spend our entire lives waiting for somebody to apologize, and they might never apologize. And you're saying, I'm going to hold on. I'm not going to forgive until they seek forgiveness. That's like the author uh, who said, uh, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Forgiveness does not require an apology. You can still forgive, and they may never, they may not even know that they hurt you, and you're the one that's still choosing to live in the trap. Forgiveness is not a one-time event, but it's an ongoing decision. You may have to forgive a person over and over and over again. It may be an ongoing thing. Forgiveness is not a one-time event. And lastly, forgiveness does not mean that the hurt won't, will go away. Sometimes you'll forgive, and there's still pain. And that's just a part of the process of allowing God to, to help us heal. So always be ready to reconcile. Um, always be ready to reconcile. I heard a, a, a tragic story about uh, author Elizabeth Barrett Browning. Um, maybe not a name that you know, but she's known, known for her uh, poetry. Uh, very famous poet. She's also a follower of Jesus. But she had a really broken relationship with her father. Her dad didn't want her to get married, um, but he, he didn't want any of his kids to get married. I'm not sure why. Uh, he needed the escape room. I'm not sure. They need to put him in the escape room. But he's very controlling, very tyrannical, and very abusive. So she finally met Robert Browning, and they had to, in order to get married, they ended up uh, leaving the country and traveling to Italy where she stayed for the rest of her life. But her father and mother disowned her, but uh, Barrett never gave up on the relationship. She always still wanted reconciliation, so she would write almost weekly letters that she would send home to her parents, uh, asking for, for them to reconcile and to, to make things better in the relationship. She never heard back from them, except one day after 10 years, she finally received a large box in the mail. She was excited when she saw the package come, but she was devastated when she opened the package. It was all the letters that she had sent, and none of them had been opened. This was a case of a dad who was unwilling to reconcile. And had her parents only read just a few of those letters, their relationship with Elizabeth might have been restored. See, if you're at a place where you're not ready to reconcile, like I get that completely, but just know that that means that's a place that God still has some work that he wants to do. Okay, number two is this. We need to ask God to transform our hearts. This kind of love that Jesus is challenging us to, to love our enemies, we have to just acknowledge that it's not natural. And that's okay to acknowledge. Can we just acknowledge that? Like that person that you're thinking of, it's just, let's just acknowledge that in and of yourself, you can't muster up what you need to love them. Anybody, is, that, is that freeing for anybody else? It's like, God, I can't do this. That's okay to acknowledge that. When Jesus says, love your enemies, that's not natural. It's something that we would call supernatural. Somebody say amen to that. That it is a work of God to give you the grace and strength you need to be able to love somebody who has hurt you. And God's not saying do it on your own. He's saying, I can give you the strength. 
and the grace to love that person and to forgive them. Um, Alexander Pope famously said, to err is human and to forgive is what? Divine. I think he's onto something. To forgive is divine. Forgiveness does not come naturally. So if you're struggling to forgive, that's normal. But Jesus calls us to something greater and something better. He calls us to forgive, calls us to love those who have hurt us. I believe God can and will give us supernatural grace. I, this is funny. Alongside of that quote um, at, at, on a button in a tourist shop, the same quote with a little bit different ending said, to err is human, to forgive is out of the question. <laughs> it's out of the question. Uh, so when I was getting ready to propose to Raylynn, um, my smoking hot wife, it makes everybody feel uncomfortable when the pastor says that, but... Um, <laughs> For a long time, Ray Lynn's brother was a part of our church, his, her younger brother, and uh, he always, he always uh, bothered him the fact that I married his sister, and I would always say that right in front of him. <laughs> I married uh, his smoking hot sister. But, um, <laughs> um, so uh, we were just, I was just finishing up college. I was getting ready to propose to Ray Lynn, and uh, she grew up on a farm in Ohio, it's okay, it's okay, uh, I converted her. God, by God's grace, she's now a Wolverine fan. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, he's getting ready to propose, and I wanted to plan this whole elaborate thing. So I reached out, they didn't, her family didn't live on the farm any longer, but I reached out to the family that, that did live there and said, hey, do you mind, I have this special thing planned, do you mind if, I, if we borrow uh, the dock that's there for the pond that was there, something, a place meaningful to her. And uh, we got up early one morning in April and headed out there. It was actually Easter Sunday morning, I wasn't pastoring yet. And uh, we, we did our own little sunrise, uh, Easter, like Easter sunrise service. But it, was, it didn't work out the way I had pictured in my head. It was cold. It was overcast. And uh, I had this, this really heavy uh, sweater on. But we were there on the dock, and uh, as only a, a Bible college student could do, this was my proposal. So uh, I had the ring tied to the tassel in the Bible and, and had the Bible closed, right? It's kind of smooth, but also kind of like, like Bible college, of course you would do that. But... Uh, we were there on the docks just spending a moment together, and she didn't have a clue what was coming. And I said, hey, Raylan, would you mind, you know, uh, opening up to a certain passage and, and reading that passage? My plan was she would open it up, and, like, the ring would be there, and just the birds would sing, the sun would come out, like, all of that <laughs> in that moment. Um, so she began to do that, and, uh, but it's cold, and her hands are kind of shaking. And I have kind of like a m little moment in my head where I'm thinking, uh, that ring is the precious, like, that is... You know, I've worked hard for that ring, and I, my, my, my mind, I'm going, what, what am I thinking about that moment? What am I thinking about? I was like, what if that ring falls into the water? She's like fumbling, trying to untie it, and I'm just trying to, I'm coming up with a game plan. Like, what is my game plan? Do I keep the sweater on? Do I take the sweater off? What, what, what would you do? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it doesn't really matter, but, uh, and so in my head, I'm like, I'm, okay, it falls in there. I'm going to quick take off the sweater, and then I'm going in after it. Like, I'm going to find the precious. I'm going to find the ring. Um, now, none of that happened. None of that happened. But in that moment, I didn't want, uh, she said yes, by the way, if you case you're curious. <laughs> she said yes. I didn't want uh, to have anything weighing me down. And I feel like many of us, um, with, we haven't asked God to help transform our heart, and we're trying to go through life swimming, treading water. We've got all these past hurts that are simply weighing us down. God can transform your heart. You know, we talk about forgiveness, and a good way to imagine forgiveness is literally forgiveness is letting someone off the hook. Now, I know that we don't like that phrasing, 
It doesn't mean that, that what they did didn't happen. See, what Scripture teaches us is that they are on God's hook. Does that make sense? <laughs> they are on God's hook for what they did. Um, God is a God of justice, and he will make sure that what they did will be paid for, either by them or by Jesus. So our job is to simply let them off of our justice hook and trust them to God. See, if we don't, it's like we're keeping that sweater on, we're jumping in, we're trying to swim. You've got all these different people, all these different situations that are still holding you back. God wants to set you free. So ask God to transform your hearts. And then number three is this, that you would trust Jesus enough to retrain your heart. Trust Jesus enough to retrain your heart. Here's what I mean by that. In the passage we read in Luke chapter 6, Jesus, um, th these are some of the teachings of Jesus that I don't like a whole lot. Jesus doesn't just say, stop talking bad about them. It's like he has to take it to a whole nother level, right? <laughs> he gives us a couple of very clear commands. I'll kind of summarize them. Basically, Jesus says to pray for your enemies. And I don't think he means fire and brimstone. God, would you please... <laughs> We can just picture it, right? God, would you please blow their house up? It's kind of dark, I know, in a moment, but we've all been there. We've just prayed those prayers. That's not what Jesus is saying, that we would get to the place where we could honestly pray, God, would you, please, would you please help them? Would you please be in their life? Would you please bless them? Those are difficult prayers to pray. But I believe that if we will do what Jesus calls us to do, then he will help our heart to get in line with where it's supposed to be. What I love and what I notice about this passage from Jesus, Jesus doesn't talk at all about our emotions. Isn't that funny? He's not like, hey, once you feel ready, I want to make sure that you feel it. He's like, no, do it. Pray for them. And do good to them. Because here's what I think happens. I think as we obey Jesus, as we do these things, I believe that our heart will follow. You guys tracking with that? When I was in grade school, actually uh, just entering kindergarten, um, I broke my arm. Um, I walked, I, I can't, I, you guys can ask me later, I've told this story before. Uh, basically, the fall from the top of a bunk bed, when you're Superman going uh, head first, uh, it, your arm you know, isn't really made for that. So I walked into my mom's, my mom's room and my arm looked like this. It went straight for a little bit, and then it curved up, <laughs> and then it went straight for a little bit longer. I was like, Mom, I think it's broken. She's like, yeah, get in the car, get in the car. <laughs> I was in kindergarten, going to kindergarten. I was probably five years old. I still remember all that. I still remember uh, driving to the, the hospital. I still remember them setting my arm. I still remember them uh, putting the cast on. I still remember going to school, starting kindergarten, trying to figure out how am I going to open the, the milk carton with a cast on my hand, uh, trying to you know, ha talk to my friends. I remember all my friends signing it and you know, drawing on it. I remember going to the doctor's checkup and like showing my doctor, like, hey, I can move my cast. Like, it, it kind of loosened up. He's like, you don't want to do that, probably. <laughs> uh, I remember the, the tickling sensation on my hand, my arm, as he was cutting off the cast. I remember all that, and that was, that was like a few years ago. It was a little <laughs> while ago. I remember all that so vividly. But the thought occurred to me, or the question, what is the purpose of the cast? What's the purpose of the cast? What would happen if I didn't get a cast on my broken arm? 
wouldn't heal straight, right? It would heal like that, right? <laughs> it would heal broken. It would, it, would, it would stay broken, right? So here's my point. The commands of Jesus, when followed in obedience, I think can recast a broken heart so it can heal in the right way. That these actions that Jesus is recommending act like a cast for your broken heart to make it whole again. And he says to pray for them. And he says to do good to them. And I think if we will follow Jesus in obedience, we will find a transformation of the heart that only God can bring. One of the questions is, are you willing to do that, right? Are you willing to commit to pray for those who've hurt you and to do good to them? I believe God will honor you as you take those steps. So I'm going to close this way. I want to encourage you guys to grab that rock. I'm trusting you not to throw them. Uh, if you're joining us online, you can grab something at your home as well and, and hold on to that. This rock represents what we're talking about today. It represents past hurts. Many, maybe you like, needed to grab a bunch of them, but it represents what you're holding on to. And I'm going to ask you in just a minute to be willing to let that go, and we're actually going to respond and even bring those up front. But I, I'm going to read a, a lengthy story here um, to help illustrate this, this point. So uh, during World War II, uh, there's a family named the Ten Boom family, and Corey Ten Boom uh, has become well-known because she wrote a book called The Hiding Place. Anybody ever read The Hiding Place? A few of you? If you haven't, I would highly recommend it. But uh, Corey Ten Boom, uh, her family lived in Holland, and um, they're Christians, and they wanted to do what they could to help. And so as Germany was occupying Holland, they did what they could to hide Jews in their home. They would make these little hiding places in their walls, and they would help save so they didn't get deported to concentration camps. Well, after months of this, uh, several of the neighbors and close friends of the Ten Boon family um, ratted them out to the Nazi officials. As a result, the Ten Boon family was rounded up and imprisoned and sent to concentration camps. Corey Ten Boon's father died in a, a Nazi prison, and her sister, Betsy, died at Ravensbrück concentration camp. And Corey Ten Boom survived, went on to write, and went on to spend time um, traveling Germany. Basically, she tr went on to travel Germany and proclaim forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And she writes this in her book. She said, It was in a church in Munich that I saw him, a balding, heavy-set man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947, and I had come to, from Holland to Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth that they needed to hear the most in that bitter, bombed-out land. I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind, I like to think that that's where forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after any of my talks in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence, in silence collected their things, and in silence they left the room. 
And that's when I saw him working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back to me in a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights and the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor. The shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me. Ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland, and this man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me with his hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all of our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who spoke so glibly of forgiveness, I fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I sure remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I'd been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he didn't remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things that I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Again, the hand came out, will you forgive me? And I stood there. I whose sins had every day to be forgiven, and I could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but it seemed to me hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing that I ever had to do. I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your heavenly Father forgive yours. And I knew it not only as a command of God, but as a daily experience. See, since the end of the war, I had had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives no matter the physical scars. But those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand, I can do that much, but you have to supply the feeling. And so, woodenly and mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder raced down my arm and sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. 
I forgive you, brother, I cried with my whole heart. And for a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. And I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. And having thus learned to forgive in this hardest of situations, I never again had difficulty in forgiving. I wish that was the truth. I wish I could say that merciful and charitable thoughts just naturally flowed from me from then on, but they didn't. If there's one thing I've learned at 80 years of age, it's that I can store up good feelings. I'm sorry, I can't store up good feelings and behavior, but I can only draw them fresh from God each day. Maybe I'm glad it's that way, for every time I go to God, he teaches me something else. I recall the time some 15 years ago when a Christian friend whom I loved and trusted did something that hurt me. You would have thought that having forgiven the Nazi guard, this would have been child's play, but it wasn't. For weeks, I seethed inside, but at last, I asked God again to work his miracle in me. And again, it happened. First, cold-blooded decision. Then, the flood of joy and peace. I had forgiven my friends. I was restored to my father. But then why was I suddenly awake in the middle of the night, hashing over the whole thing again? My friends, I thought. People I loved. If it had been strangers, it would have been easier. I sat up and switched on the light. Father, I thought it was all forgiven. Please help me to do it again. But the next night I woke up again. They talked so sweetly, too. Never a hint of what they were planning. Father, I cried in alarm. Help me. His help came in the form of a kindly Lutheran pastor to whom I confessed my failure after two sleepless weeks. Up in that church tower, he said, nodding out the window, is a bell which is rung by the pulling of a rope. But you know what? After the church bell ringer lets go of the rope, the bell keeps on swinging. First ding and then dong, slower and slower until there's a final dong and it stops. I believe the same thing is true of forgiveness. When we forgive someone, we take our hand off the rope. But if we've been tugging at our grievances long enough, we must not be surprised if the old angry thoughts keep coming for a while. They're just the ding-dongs of the old bell slowing down. And so it proved to be. There were a few more midnight reverberations and a couple of dings when the subject came up in my conversations, but the force, which was my willingness in the matter, had gone out of them. They came less and less often, and at last they stopped altogether. And so I discovered another secret of forgiveness, that we can trust God not only above our emotions, but also with our thoughts. So as we close the service today, I'm going to ask you to do that hardest thing. I'm going to ask you to take that rock that you've been holding on to that represents that person, those people, those things, and I'm going to ask you to let it go. And it may be one of many times that you have to do that, but I believe as you step out in faith and obedience, I believe God will, will begin the transformation work in your hearts. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. And I don't know if, if you're like me, but as I was holding on to my rock at uh, different points throughout the day today. Uh, my grip, I noticed my grip getting tighter. <laughs> and I know what it is. I know the challenge it is to just turn that hand upright and to, to open that hand up. But let God set you free today. Would you guys stand with me as we pray? 
God, we thank you for your grace in this moment. And I, I know and I recognize, God, this is a difficult, difficult uh, moment. But it's real. And your word is true. You are calling us uh, to, to be set free. God, thank you that you are a God of justice, that we can trust you to enact your justice. God, thank you that you are a God of mercy, that you have shown us mercy and grace and forgiveness. God, please heal and transform our hearts today. Do something powerful. Do what only you can do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I want to encourage you as we sing this song, as you're ready, and you, you, may not, you will not feel the feelings. I, I prob- you probably won't feel the feelings. But in, in faith and obedience, I want to encourage you to respond as we sing this song. Feel free to come up when you're ready and place that on the, the steps in front of me here and uh, allow God to transform your heart.